I cannot think of a message that contradicts the point of Christmas more than be good, be obedient, and get things. I can't think of a message that contradicts Christmas more than that. That be good, get stuff, be bad, don't get stuff, but always treat everybody as if they've done well and give them stuff. But that is the predominant view of Christmas in our culture. And that is not the true message of Christmas. The true message of Christmas is this, that Christ came to those who were bad. Christ came to those that were sinful. Christ came to those that couldn't help themselves, that couldn't behave, that still strive, though, in their own flesh to be obedient, and in their striving dishonored the Lord, and in their striving made up their own rules, made up their own regulations, and walked around as if they were righteous, and walked around as if they were holy, and walked around as if they were good before God, thinking that they deserved His love, thinking they deserved His kindness, but really didn't. They deserved the wrath of God, and they were helpless, and they were weary, and they were tired. And in the midst of that, God sends His Son anyway. That is the message of Christmas. But that message doesn't always resonate with our hearts. Because we as humans have a, a, a natural disposition to self-righteousness. We as humans have a natural disposition to legalism, to working. We have a, a natural disposition to thinking much about ourselves. I do. You do. We all do. We love the idea of working hard and deserving something. We love that idea, especially in America. We love the idea of being self-sufficient, of being experts. As we see ourselves as self-sufficient, as we see ourselves as experts, as we see ourselves as, as kind of that American dream where we can pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and be anything and do anything, that, and, and that we earn all of these good things in life. We come to Christmas, and we think, if I'm good, I get stuff. I get good things. We think, you know, if I just pay it forward, it'll eventually come back to me. I'm in the restaurant industry. I see a lot of people pay it forward. They do a good deed, but ultimately the heart behind the good deed is often, it's going to come back to me tenfold, threefold, fivefold, even twofold. not the message of Christmas. We all have a heart bent towards legalism naturally. Apart from God, 
We have a heart that's bent towards work, 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 work. And while this message isn't directly a Christmas message, a Christmas passage, I believe it has Christmas application that can help us understand why Christ came. My main point this morning, if you've got your outline, is this. The Lord of the Sabbath came to set us free from our striving and give us rest. Isn't that good news? That's good news. The Lord of the Sabbath came to set us free from our striving and to give us rest. Please follow along. In your Bibles, please turn to to Luke chapter 6. We've got a few verses this morning. I'm not going to try and cover too much ground this morning. Um, I can't promise that it will be a short sermon, but I can promise that we're not going to cover too many verses. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6, verses verses, uh, 1 through 5 this morning. In verse 1 we read, On a Sabbath... While he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. May God bless the reading of his word. We're talking a lot about legalism this morning. We're talking about the freedom and the rest that Christ brings. I've got three points re- revolving around that idea of, of legalism, and the problems of legalism, and the problems of legalists, and the problems that we tend to all have. And so if you think I'm calling you out this morning, I am. As much as I'm every bit calling out myself, this is a problem that we all struggle with. So if the shoe fits, let's wear it, all right? Point number one, legalists miss the letter of the law. Legalists miss the letter of the law. Here's a funny thing about legalists. Legalists often can, they can quote book, chapter, verse. Legalists often pride themselves in being good theologians. But the, the, the ironic part about it is that legalists are actually very poor theologians. The, legalists are really good at twisting Scripture and missing the meaning of Scripture. They, they can recite vocabulary but they cannot interpret the meaning of the text well. And we often all struggle with this. But, but here in, in, in this section of Scripture, in, in, in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, we see, we see Pharisees actually miss the letter of the law, which is, which is interesting to me. First we see, we find Jesus, and they were... Uh, on this Sabbath, we see in verse 1, they were going through the grain fields. They were walking, and they, walking through the grain fields, they pluck some grain with their hands, they rub it between their hands, and they eat the edible part. Deuteronomy 23, 
gave that provision on a Sabbath that, that you could go into the grain field and pluck and eat enough for your meal. You weren't allowed to go with a sickle and, and start working and start uh, you know, farming and, and, and preparing food for the rest of the week. And you, you were able, though, to eat. You were able to have a meal. And Jesus here in, in Luke chapter 6, with his disciples, they go and they partake of the letter of the law. They were righteous. Jesus, so it can be said now, Jesus fulfilled all the law. Jesus was completely innocent. There was not a law that Jesus broke. Jesus was completely holy. Jesus was completely righteous. In order for him to make atonement for our sin, Jesus needed to be completely righteous. Jesus didn't almost fulfill the law. Jesus completely fulfilled the law. Amen? But here we find the, the Pharisees, and they accuse Jesus of breaking the law. Interesting. I mean, if you go to Deuteronomy 23, you see the law is pretty clear about this, that on the Sabbath you could do this. It really isn't open to like interpretation. There are parts of, of God's Word that are certainly difficult to understand, this isn't one of them. God was pretty clear. On the Sabbath, you could do this. But the Pharisees, like us, often like to make the word of God more complicated than it is. We like to add to it. We like to take away from it. We like to add our frameworks. We like to add our rules. We like to add our you know, preconceived notions. We like to take our culture and add to the Bible. And, and, and we do this. And, and the Pharisees missed the point. They actually missed the law. They missed the letter of the law. And they accused Jesus of breaking the law. Here they are on the Sabbath. Who knows what they're doing here, anyway? Instead of observing the Sabbath, instead of honoring the day and keeping it holy, they're walking around keeping track of Jesus. And his disciples, they're not observing it. They don't care about themselves. Isn't that what legalists do? Don't we do that? When we're, when we're guilty of legalism, you know, of works righteousness, of self-righteousness, like we're obsessed with everybody else's problems. We're keeping tabs on them. We might got sin in our hearts. We might have unrepentant sin that we're dealing with. But, you know, we're, we're keeping an eye we're keeping an eye on them to make sure they're good, to make sure they're following their laws. The heart of the legalist is always looking at other people more than you're looking at your own heart. We all do that. We, we all do that. We, we all love to self-righteously get up in everybody else's business. And, and what we do is, is we use our standards of righteousness to judge our neighbor. We use our man-made rules to judge our neighbor. We don't use the word of God. We, may, we might have a brother or sister in Christ who is in sin, and it is right for us to approach them about that using the word of God. That's right and that's good. Legalists don't do that. They use other methods of righteousness 
their own self-made rules, not the true letter of the law. They use their own rules. Like, and we all do this. We're all like, there, there, there's a tendency for us all to be self-righteous about something. And some, so, some of us are, are right, are, are, we think we're righteous because we homeschool. I'm righteous because I homeschool. I don't send my kids off to the, to the government school. Some of us are, are righteous because we don't homeschool. That we do send our kids off to public school. We say, well, I'm sending my kids off to be salt and light. We're, we're self-righteous in, in our decision. Some, some of us are, are self-righteous because we don't drink alcohol. The Bible actually talks about drinking alcohol. And Jesus drank alcohol, but I, I, I'm self-righteous because I don't drink alcohol. Some of us are self-righteous because we do drink alcohol. As if like, well, I'm living in my freedom in the Lord, and this guy's not, haha, and I'm boasting. Self-righteous. So some of us are self-righteous about the way that we vote. Like, I, I, you know, real Christians vote this way. Some of us are, and then on the other side, some of us are, real, no, real Christians vote this way. And, I, and then on the other side, some of us are, are self-righteous because, well, Christians really shouldn't care about voting at all. We look at everybody who cares about it as unrighteous. Some of us are self-righteous because we have really big families. Some of us are self-righteous because we have really small families. Some of us are self-righteous because we don't take vaccines. Some of us are self-righteous because we do take vaccines. Some of us are self-righteous because we don't wear masks. Some of us are self-righteous because we do wear masks. And I can keep going on and on and on. Did I get everybody? Here's the reality. When we look at our lives and we look at the things in us that, that we really start to judge our neighbor for and we really look with just a, just a sense of, of pride and, and almost arrogance, is it really according to God's word? Or is it our own self-made religion? Because if we're really looking to God's word, the fruit of that is not going to be arrogance, is it? It's going to be humility. When we're looking to God's word, it's going to be hard of seeing that we've received grace. We've received mercy. Who are we to really, truly judge about these superficial things? And I would argue that a lot of those things are, albeit some of them are important, in the large degree in the scope of eternity, they're pretty superficial. That's what legalists do. We judge according to our rules, to our standards. We know what God's word might say, but we, well, let's take it a step up. We must understand that Jesus opposes the proud. Jesus opposes such prideful self-righteousness that you're guilty of and that I'm guilty of. But Jesus gives grace to the humble. And what's interesting here is the Pharisees, and we'll see this. We've already seen it, actually. We saw a little bit last week. And we'll continue to see it. We'll continue to see this self-righteous attitude that bubbles up in the Pharisees. And Christ always opposes them. Always. And it's easy for us to see ourselves as anybody but the Pharisees. 
oh, we're team Jesus. The Pharisees don't represent, friends, the Pharisees do represent us. Apart from Christ, we are nothing but you know, a bunch of self-righteous hacks. That's it. That's who we are, enemies of God. But God in his mercy saves such sinners. But, but it's, it's in it. we, we must understand a little bit about the Pharisees to, to understand what's going on here. I talked about it a little bit last week, but the Pharisees were religious rulers, religious leaders in a sense. Now, they weren't religious leaders in the sense of a God-ordained type of religious leader. They were a type of religious leader that, uh, that, that arose during the intertestamental period. And in, in the midst of much Roman occupation and, and the rise of Hellenism, uh, the, the, the Pharisees arose. And they were very passionate about removing the occupation of Rome from God's people. They were very passionate about uh, the, the coming of the Messiah. That would be a very good thing, right? But the problem is, and Craig, Craig Blomberg puts, uh, he makes this point in his book, Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, he says that the Pharisees sought to teach people to obey God's laws so that, so that God himself would provide a savior in response to his people's obedience. You see the problem there? God had already promised to send the Messiah. God had already promised to send the Redeemer, in spite of his people's disobedience. God's sending of the Messiah was one sending in a merciful manner, in a gracious manner. It wasn't in response to the obedience of God's people. It was in spite of their disobedience that God would send the Messiah. The Pharisees thought that they were somehow going to usher in the coming of the Messiah to remove Rome and to abolish God's enemies by the obedience of the Israelites. I was talking with, with, uh, with Doug this week, or maybe it was last week, and he was, he was saying that in, in the show The Chosen, there's this idea that they kind of bring this idea out, that the Pharisees believe that if, we are, if we're disobedient, the Messiah is not going to come. If we're not obedient, we're not going to get good gifts. It's an old idea. And so, the obedience to the law for God's people was very important to the Pharisees. Now, the obedience to the law was important to God. But what happened with the Pharisees, in an attempt to usher in this, this m- Messiah, they would put fences around the law. They would say, I, I, I don't want to get too close to disobeying, so I'm going to create rules around the rules to ensure that we're nowhere close to breaking the rules. Because if we break the rules, then the Messiah won't come. They thought much of themselves. And these, these laws that they created, they were the oral traditions. Traditions of the teachers. In, in the Talmud, there's 24 chapters of Sabbath laws. Get that. We're going to look at what the Bible has to say about the Sabbath in a second. The rules are simple. They're not complex. They're simple. But, but, but in the Talmud, there's 24 chapters of Sabbath law. These 24 chapters of, this is, this is how 
rabbis would have interpreted the Sabbath. What does it really mean to follow the Sabbath? I know it's a, I know it's a very, I know it's a very simple command, but it can't be that simple. It can't be that simple. God must mean a lot more than that because, you know, God first and foremost cares about rules. That's all that God cares about is, is rules, so he can't, it can't be that simple. John, John MacArthur, he describes some of these laws, and, and, and I just love, I love the way he, he puts it. He, I'm going to read it here for a moment. Some of these 24 chapters of Sabbath laws, and this is just a brief summation of the laws. He says this. He says, on the Sabbath... Here are some of the laws. If you were in one place and your arms stretched to reach for food and the Sabbath overtook you, you had to drop the food rather than bring back your arm or you had carried a burden and sin. A tailor couldn't carry his needle. A scribe couldn't carry his pen. A pupil couldn't carry his books. You couldn't even examine your clothes before you put them on, lest in the examining, meaning kind of brushing and shaking, you killed an insect. Wool couldn't be dyed. Nothing could be sold or bought or washed. A letter could not be sent, even with a heathen. No fire could be lit. No fire could be put out. Cold water could be poured on warm, but warm couldn't be poured on cold. An egg couldn't be boiled even if you buried it in the hot sand, which is how they would boil an egg back in the desert. Uh, you couldn't take a bath for fear that the water would flow off of you and wash the floor. You couldn't move a chair since it might make a rut, and that would be too much like plowing. Women could not look in a mirror or put on any jewelry, and if she were to find a white hair, she had to resist the temptation. Pull it out. Sounds like a day of rest to me. Sounds like a day that is good and holy, doesn't it? But that's what legalists do, right? We take what God has meant for good and we turn it into something for our own glory. Take it what God has meant for rest and turn it into a work for our own glory, to make much of ourselves. Here's the reality. The Pharisees did not understand that the Sabbath was good. The Sabbath was good. And it was meant to be delighted in. It was meant to be obeyed. It was good, meant to be delighted in, and it was meant to be obeyed. I don't want to give the impression here this morning that, that, that like God's kind of wishy-washy on the Sabbath. God had every intent for his people to obey the Sabbath to its fullest extent. God is serious about the law. But God is serious about his law. Not man's law, not man's ideas, not man's rules. So let's, let's look at the Sabbath. Let's, let's understand the Sabbath. How do they miss the mark here? How are they missing the mark of the Sabbath? 
How are they actually not getting the letter of the law? Well, let's look at what the Bible says briefly about the Sabbath. We're first introduced to the Sabbath in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, it, it, it highlights that kind of back from Genesis 1, that God created everything in six days. Praise God. God spoke and it was. But not just that. God spoke and it was, and it was what? It was good. So we see God create everything ex nihilo. God creates everything out of nothing. God showing his power. God showing his holiness. God showing his goodness. God showing his sovereignty. Demonstrating his power. He speaks and he creates the heavens and the earth. He thought and created this world. He, he designed what a tree would look like. He, he, he designed oceans. He designed flowers. He designed man. He, he designed woman. God, God designed gravity. You get that? God, God, God wrote the laws of nature. God gave us parameters of what matter would be and what matter wouldn't be. God designed time. I mean, these are, these are ideas that like just blow my mind. That all of this, every philosophy, every ounce of science, not just the things that we see. God created all of it. God, God gave our brains parameters to think. And God designed that. God did that. And he did that in six days. God could have done it in an instant, but God in his sovereignty did it over six days. Genesis highlights that. Genesis 1 highlights that. And then we get to Genesis 2, and we see that after God created the world in six days, and after God had said that it was good, good meaning perfect, Good meaning sinless. Good meaning worthy of praise. After God did that, God rested. Now God didn't rest because he was tired. It wasn't like, you know, God just got done with CrossFit and he was, just, he was sweating and he was lying on the floor like a lot of us do Monday, Wednesday, Friday in my garage, if you're interested, 7 o'clock. God wasn't tired. God wasn't exhausted. God said he blessed the day. He made it joyful. It was a good day. It was a happy day. It was, it was a day that was made holy. It was sanctified. There's something special about this day. It was consecrated. It was distinct. And it was in this moment that God focused on his work and enjoyed it. God enjoyed his good creation. God created it, and God created everything for his glory, didn't he? God created everything for his good pleasure. And the Sabbath 
points to that. The Sabbath points to the fact that God worked. The Sabbath points to the fact that God is creator. The Sabbath points to the fact that God is holy. That's what the Sabbath points to. And God made this day, and he set this day apart before sin entered the world. You see that. The Sabbath isn't a response to man's work. The Sabbath wasn't a response to some law that had to be followed here in this point. The Sabbath was a day that pointed to the glory of God. To the work of God. To the provision of God. To the glory of God. Well, we know shortly after that, man falls. Sin enters the world. And and ultimately... In Exodus chapter 20, we, we, we see God's law. And ultimately, a law comes. It's not just a day that God took to rest and enjoy His creation. It is now a, a law that God has given to His people to obey. That they would observe it. In, in Exodus 20 verse 8, we see that the law was meant to be obeyed. It's not just a special day. It's a day that you take serious. You do take it serious, and you do obey it, and you obey it to the fullest extent, but you are called to keep it holy. You keep that day holy. How do you keep that day holy? You, you focus on God. You focus, focus on His goodness. You focus, you focus on His work. You focus on what He has done. But you don't just worship God. It's, you don't work. And it's rooted in the creation mandate, though. It's rooted in what God did. It says, for six days you labor and do all your work, and you rest on the seventh day. This was the command. But we rest because God worked. Do you see that? The Sabbath was rooted in the fact that God worked. We were given this command because God worked. Because God worked we can rest. And this day was still blessed. It was still holy. We see in Exodus 23, 12, that the Sabbath was a time of rest and refreshment. That is, it wasn't just kind of like this holy, pious day that was boring. It wasn't this kind of day that was kind of where we just kind of, man, I can't wait till this is over because I'm bored. No. It was a time of refreshment. It was a time of joy. It was a happy day. I mean, imagine working hard for six days a week, and you work, 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 work. What kind of day would a loving God give to his people for refreshment? It's not a day full of drudgery and depression. And bore. It was a happy day. It wasn't a day where you did work. It wasn't a day where you tilled the farm. It wasn't, it wasn't that. But enjoy it. Be happy. Eat. Have a meal. To the glory of God. Enjoy it. It is a good day. Go be refreshed. And then the next day, get back to work. But in this day, enjoy it. It was a day, it was a good day. It was a happy day. It was, it was meant for the refreshment of God's people. 
as they rested in the provision of God and the goodness of God. The Pharisees didn't turn it into that, did they? It was probably their hardest day of the week as they prepped for this day. It was honoring the Sabbath was kind of the pinnacle of observance of Jewish law. Everything revolved around it. It wasn't a day of rest. It was a day of work. They might, they might not have done physical work, but it was work in the heart, focused on self, focused on their own self-righteousness. They didn't see it as a day of refreshment. They, they didn't see it as a day of joy. They didn't see it as a day of blessing. It was a duty. Then in Exodus 31, 13, we see that the Sabbath was a reminder. So this is when you want to look at Exodus 31, 13. I won't read it, but mark it in your notes if you want to go back. The Sabbath was a reminder that it was God that sanctified his people. The Sabbath was a reminder that it was God who made his people holy. That's what the Sabbath was meant to do. It was a sign that pointed to God's work, not man's work. The, the, the Sabbath, in the day of the Pharisees, though, in their view, was a work that would somehow earn God's favor. It was, it was a work that would earn God's love. Through their obedience, the Messiah would come. It wasn't the intent of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was meant to point us that, that it was God who would sanctify us. It was God who would make us holy, not ourselves. Because God worked, we can rest. Exodus, or, sorry, Galatians 3.10 shows us that the law wasn't meant to save the law wasn't meant to make us holy. God makes us holy. Through God's work, we are holy. All who rely on works of the law are cursed because the one is cursed who does not obey the whole law. You want to rely on works to save you. You want to rely on obedience to save you. You will be cursed. You will miss it every time. We are saved and changed and made holy by God alone. Period. Don't miss that. So as we, as we think of the Sabbath there in Genesis and several passages in Exodus, and there's a few more, but I think we get the gist here. The Sabbath was a reminder of the work of God. The Sabbath was a reminder of the grace and mercy of God. The Sabbath was a reminder of the holiness of God. And we, his people, were, his people were called to rest in that. His people were called to not focus on their work, but to focus on what God did. That's not exactly what the Pharisees were doing, was it? They actually missed the point of observing the Sabbath. They missed the letter of the law. In observing the Sabbath, it wasn't about them. It wasn't about their effort. It wasn't about their striving. It wasn't about them demonstrating how holy they were because they were honoring that day. 
It was about honoring the Lord. Today, there's many ways that we miss the mark as well. We think that we can be obedient enough to God's commands, that, 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 that somehow we can make much of ourselves in the way that we obey, that somehow we can earn God's love if we just obey enough, if we just read the Bible enough, we go to church enough. You know, we do this or we don't do that. No. That is not how we earn God's love. That is not how we are made holy. We don't obey in order for God to love us. We obey because we have received the love of God. We obey because we love God. First John tells us that if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If a sign that we love God is that we obey. We, why do we love God? We love God because he's saved us and because he's changed us, because he's given us mercy and he's given us grace. And out of light of who we are, we obey. It's not in order to love me, go obey, obey my commandments. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says those who love God will obey. May we not confuse the two. May we not miss the point of obedience. May we not miss the point of, of walking in who we are in Christ. Point two, legalists miss the heart of the law. They don't, they don't, just, miss, they don't just miss the letter of the law. They actually miss the, the heart of the law. And, and here in verse 3, Jesus answers them in, in their accusation of why is Christ and his disciples doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And so it's interesting, again, they, they thought they understood the law. They didn't really understand the law because they were blinded by their legalism. They were blinded by their self-righteousness. They were blinded by their own oral traditions. And in that moment, Jesus, again, could have gone to Deuteronomy 23, 25, that no, I didn't break the law. We didn't break the law. It is written, Deuteronomy 23, 25, look it up, mic drop, keep walking. Jesus didn't do that. That's not what Jesus says. Would have been easy. Instead, Jesus really shows the Pharisees that they didn't really understand the heart of God's law. They didn't really get it. Because they didn't understand the heart of God. It, the heart of legalism is that. It's not that you, don't, you can't recite book, chapter, and verse. It's that you actually don't understand the heart of God. Cold-hearted, white-knuckle obedience is not the heart of God. It's not. It's not. We obey out of joy. We obey out of love. We walk in who we actually are in Christ. That is, that is obedience. We obey in light of God's mercy. And we see that God is a merciful God. And that is what the Pharisees didn't see. They did not see the mercy of God. They did not see the law actually as an act of God's grace and an act of God's mercy that pointed to the character of God. They saw God as a tyrant. This cold-hearted tyrant that I've got to work hard to, to please. We see 
the story that Jesus points out. He, he doesn't go to Deuteronomy 25. He actually goes to 1 Samuel 21. Interesting. Jesus has a way of doing this, and we're going to continue to see this throughout the Gospel of Luke. That, that sometimes the Pharisees ask a question, and Jesus goes like 12 steps deeper than their question and exposes their unrighteousness. That's what Jesus does. He's like, I'm not even going to answer your question. I'm going to go way down the line and just let you know that your heart's wicked. That's what he does here. In, 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 in 1 Samuel 21, we see this, this story of David, and, 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 we're, and, and you can turn there. I'm not going to read it. Um, but you can go look it up in 1 Samuel 20 and 21 to see if I'm right. David at this point was, was a refugee. He was fleeing because Saul wanted to kill him. You know, Saul was ever increasingly jealous of David. And so David's on the run. And David's out in the field there, and Jonathan's kind of basically, he's waiting on Jonathan to let him know if, if Saul was going to kill him or not. So, so David spent several days out in this field, and he was hungry, and he was scared. And he was like, I don't... I don't, I, I, you know, I'm on the run. Any of you ever been a refugee before? I have not. So I, I don't know, maybe you have. I don't know what it's like to be a refugee. I can imagine that, uh, that it's pretty scary. I had somebody break into my car this week and they smashed the windows and took my stuff. That was scary enough. I can't imagine if you've got a king who's coming with you out into, you know, looking for you to kill you and he's got the, the resources of an army who, who would obey. That would be scary. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a man like David and you're a man after God's own heart. It's a scary moment. So in that moment, David was hungry. He was hungry. He was starving. Imagine probably likely not eating for a few days. David was hungry. Is there anything wrong with that? Anything sinful, wrong about being hungry? He makes his way to to the tabernacle, and he meets a priest. And he asks the priest if he has anything to eat. The priest answers. He says, the only, the only thing that I have is the bread of the presence. This bread of the presence was a, a part of the ceremonial law that they would uh, refresh every seven days. Every seven days they would put a new, uh, a new piece of consecrated bread out, and at the end of the seven days, the priests were allowed to eat it. According to Leviticus chapter 24, only the priest could eat of this consecrated bread. God was clear in his law. It was a very clear law. It wasn't like the priest and anybody else. The law appointed in Leviticus 24 of simply the priest. At the end of seven days, the priest could eat this bread. I don't know why you'd want to eat seven-day-old bread, but that was what God provided for them in his mercy and in his grace. But in this moment, as... David is in touch with his priest. This is all he has. And the priest offers the bread to David, to which David eats. And his, the people who are with him. And they eat. And there's a lot of ways to try and like juggle this and to say, well, David was the king, the true king. And, and um, well, What about the guys who are with David? They weren't the king. Here's the reality. And Jesus here, and he says that in verse 4, he says that David took and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful. It was not lawful for any to eat but the priest. And he gave it to those who were with them. What's, what's, what's the point here? 
The one here, there was a part of the law that at the same time God was serious about. You know, God, God, was, God was serious about you know, those that would grab the Ark of the Covenant and touch it and not obey the law, the letter of the law. But, but God also there in, in 2 Samuel, he points to like a heart that, was, that didn't honor the Lord. It was an irreverent heart. It was an irreverent act. And God struck them dead. We look at Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. They lied to the Lord. They lied to the Holy Spirit and the Lord struck them dead. I mean, God is serious about obedience. God's serious about his law. And there were also aspects of the Sabbath even that the Lord would say that if you don't practice it, you should be put to death. It's God's law. But the law also provided for mercy. And the point of the law in the bread of the presence was not that a starving refugee would not eat. That was not the heart of the law. It just wasn't. So did David break the letter of the law? He broke the letter of the law technically. He ate what was not supposed to be eaten by him. But in that moment, he's not criticized. He's not criticized by the priest. He's not criticized by Jesus. There's a moment of God's mercy in that moment. Hosea 6, 6 says this, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. It's not that God didn't desire sacrifice. And it's not that God didn't desire burnt offerings. Hosea's making the point here, though, that, that God also desires mercy. He's a merciful God. He's a gracious God. And if you're looking at the law and, you're, and you're, you're, you're looking at these commandments and you're not seeing the gracious mercy of God, then you're missing the heart of the law. The law pointed to the mercy and the grace of God. It pointed to the holiness of God. It pointed to the provision of God. And those who would obey it fully would be those who loved God. God always called us people to obey God in light of who he was and what he did, not just for some straight, cold-hearted, white-knuckled obedience. Part of the law, part of obedience was love. The law was something that was meant to be delighted in. We see this in Psalm 1, don't we? How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But what? His delight is in the law of the Lord. Not his obligation is the law of the Lord. Not this mountain peak that he has to climb is the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And you can go to psalm after psalm after psalm after psalm and see that obedience to God was something that, would, that his people should delight in. That obedience is something to God is something that his people would delight in out of their love for God and out of view of his mercy. May we not miss the heart of the law. Finally, point three, legalists miss the law giver. Legalists miss the law giver. 
This is the best part of this little passage here. A short few verses. Jesus tells them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That's what they didn't understand, did they? That was their biggest problem. They, di they didn't understand the letter of the law because they didn't understand the heart of the law. They didn't understand the heart of the law because they didn't understand the heart of the law giver. You see, with their rules and their regulations, they took it upon themselves to determine what was good and what was holy on the Sabbath. So I, I, I'm going to create all these laws. I'm going to create 24 chapters, chapters of books that, that, I, that I can just say, this is what the Sabbath meant. And, you know, the next guy would come along and say, well, no, this is what it means. And the next guy would come along and say, no, no, this is... And so they create all these rules. They create all these fences. One guy one-upping another, uh, another on, on what it actually meant to obey. Reinterpreting God's word. Missing the letter of the law. Missing the heart of the law. The law was simple. The law was very simple. Obey. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Don't work. That was the law. That was it. Do you see the simplicity? It actually wasn't that hard. And the legalist, when it comes, comes along, says, what about, well, let's really, what, what does it mean to work? Well, no, this must be a work, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try, and in my, in, my, in my mind, come along, and I'm going to think of every aspect of work, and we're going to keep creating these rules. What about this? 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 Versus simply looking at the law and the heart of the law and understanding, don't work and obey God. Don't work and just worship God. That was it. But because they went and create, they went and created their own rules, their own regulations, their own fences, they were playing the role of God. They saw themselves as Lord of the Sabbath, as the gatekeepers of the Sabbath, of the gatekeepers of truth. It was them. It wasn't God. It was them. The Sabbath, they thought, the Sabbath is what I say it is. And here they find themselves. Instead of submitting to the Lord of the Sabbath, instead of bowing before the Lord of the Sabbath who is before them, they find themselves accusing God of breaking the law. And we see that. They missed the point. They made the Sabbath a day to highlight their own outward righteousness, and their own piety. They, they made the Sabbath about them. And the Sabbath wasn't about them. The Sabbath was for them, for their good, and for their enjoyment, and for their rest. But the Sabbath wasn't about them. The Sabbath was about God. The Sabbath was about what He did, not what they did. So instead of bowing their knee to Him, they accuse him. They miss the point. They miss the law giver. But here in this moment, we see these men. These weren't uneducated men. These weren't stupid men. They were respectable men in that time. There were men that we would look at and think these are pretty good guys. 
but they were self-righteous men like us. They were men who were built to do and do and work and work and earn God's favor. They were the type of men that, as we talked about last week, who would, you know, when they would fast, they would their bodies would be just so thin and frail and weak as this outward sign of their righteousness. They would pray on the street corner constantly so people could hear them. Their whole lives were built around doing, 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 trying to earn favor with man, trying to earn favor with God. They missed the heart of God. These were respectable men. They were wealthy men. They were smart men. But I can tell you this. They were very weary men. They were very tired men. They were very sad and depressed men. They were very angry men. They were very burdened men. And I know we can all relate. As we oftentimes we, we build up these, these towers of self-righteousness with our own main rules, and we're juggling all these things, trying to trying to impress men and trying to earn favor with God, and it's weary, isn't it? And Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, he came. In the midst of this culture, he came, and he came to give us rest. The Lord of the Sabbath came to give us rest. In Matthew eleven twenty-seven through 30, Jesus says this. He says, come to me, come to me, all who labor, all you who are working, who are trying to obey the law and to earn favor with God, all of you who toil, and struggle, trying to earn God's favor, and you're heavy laden, you feel the weight of the law, you feel it and you're trying to obey it, and you look at it and you see, I can never obey. I can never achieve righteousness on my own. I cannot do it. And I'm burdened by that. You toil, you're heavy laden, come to me. Come to me. Bring your work Bring your labors, bring your self-righteousness, bring your rules, bring your regulations, bring them to me. What does Jesus say there next? And I will give you rest. I will give you rest. True rest and true peace and true joy and true Sabbath is only found in Christ. And friends, we can rest because Christ worked. We can rest because Christ came and Christ fulfilled the law for us. We, we can rest because Christ took our sin and took our shame he bore the wrath of God for us. Therefore, we can rest. We can rest because it is finished. Christ defeated the grave, and Christ rose again, and Christ promises eternal life. 
to all those who would trust in him based upon the work that he did. We can rest. All the glorious, God-honoring, sovereign work that God did results in rest for those of us who put our hope and faith and trust in Christ. It has been a heavy year. It has been a year of deep division. It has been a year of, I can even say in this church, since it's, you know, mostly, I don't really see a lot of guests there or anything, but even in this church, it has been a year, and in my own heart, it has been a year of deep self-righteousness. You felt that in your own heart? Have you experienced that in your own heart? I have. I've seen it. The Lord of the Sabbath has come to give us rest. It's not about our performance. It's not about our man-made rules. It's about his work. And so this Christmas, as we celebrate it this week, may we not focus on what we've done to earn God's good gifts because we haven't done anything. But Christ in his mercy offers it to us free. Come to him, lay down your burden, lay down your work, lay down your toil, and trust in Christ.